Good morning, church family. I'm glad that you came to church on Palm Sunday. Uh, before I get started in the message, I just want to take just a moment and thank all of you on behalf of Darlene and myself for all the cards. You see that box of cards they gave us last week? That thing was jam-packed full. And we're about two-thirds through with that box. We've got a third to go. I tell you, we have been so encouraged by your notes. Thank you so very much, especially the kids. I've gotten some interesting ones from kids. I'm very, very interesting ones, but boy, they are so sweet. So today, Christians all over the world are beginning to celebrate Holy Week, and the focus of Christians all over the world is on the Lord Jesus Christ and the special eight days that we call Holy Week that starts with the triumphal entry of Jesus and ends with the resurrection the following Sunday. Today is a very important day. We're going to focus our attention on, on John's gospel, his account of the triumphal entry of Jesus. But we will draw from some of the other gospels to add to the beautiful tapestry that describes the biblical, biblical account of the triumphal entry of Jesus. I want to begin by reading John chapter 12, verses 1 to 11, and just give you a little context for the triumphal entry. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus has ra had raised from the dead. Now, you remember, Lazarus had died. Mary Martha sent word to Jesus, Lord, come quick. Our, our brother is very sick, but Jesus delayed on purpose. And the disciples didn't understand it, and they said it's for the glory of God. And believe me, it was. And when Jesus finally got to Bethany, Lazarus had been dead for four days, four days in the tomb. And the Bible says that Jesus came to the tomb, and the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He loved Lazarus. He loved Martha. He loved Mary. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Do you remember what Martha said? Martha said, Lord, in the King James Version, it says, he stinketh. He stinketh. Been dead for four days. Jesus said, remove the stone. I love what happened next. Jesus prayed, and, and then he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out, and they, they, he was all bound up with the, the bindings that they would put on dead people in the first century. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. So here, a few days later, we read in John chapter 12, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. 
But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. If you don't understand the word pilfer, that means he stole money from the, the money box. The Bible goes on to say, Therefore Jesus said, Let her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest, now notice this, very important part of the story. But the chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death also. They were also planning on putting Jesus to death, but one was not enough. They had to kill the chief evidence of Jesus' power and authority, and that would be Lazarus. So they planned to put Lazarus to death also because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. Do you get the picture here? It's the Passover. The Passover was a very important feast for the Jews. It was initiated when God delivered the nation of Israel from Egyptian bondage. And it was God's will that they celebrate the Passover every single year. And during Passover season, many people, many Jews would come not only from the, the different parts of Israel, but they would come from different parts of the world to celebrate Passover. And this particular Passover season, uh, the, 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 the crowd swelled to enormous numbers. And they were there to see Lazarus. They were there because they had heard that Jesus of Nazareth had healed him and raised him from the dead. Now, they didn't understand that Jesus had come to deliver people from their sins, not to deliver the Jewish people from Roman oppression. They had a misunderstanding about Jesus. Well, let me tell you, words spread like lightning. I mean, everyone in the Passover area heard about Jesus. They heard about his unique power. And they began to, to think and talk among themselves, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the King of the Jews? And I tell you, people were getting excited and fired up. Now, notice John chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. On the next day, after this dinner with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, on the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. It was Sunday. It was the first Palm Sunday. From Bethany to Bethphage to Jer Jerusalem, 
Everyone was talking about Jesus and the miracle. The tiny village of Bethany was teeming with life. People were everywhere. And they were asking these questions. Is this the Messiah? Is this the king of the Jews? Is God about to initiate his kingdom right here with Jerusalem being the capital of the kingdom of God? Early on, on what we call Palm Sunday, the saga began. Men, women, boys, and girls from all over began to cut palm branches and, and they began to find their place among the, the route and lined the Mount of Olives all the way down to the city of Jerusalem. They were looking for the best view of Jesus. What's the significance of the palm branches? Wasn't it beautiful, the preschoolers coming by with their palm branches? I can just see dads and moms and little boys and little girls cutting their palm branches and dads and moms cut big palm branches for themselves and little ones for, for their little kids and, and they line the way down the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem and they're waving the palm branch looking for that moment when Jesus appears. Now palm branches, as Joshua mentioned earlier, are symbolic of victory. When the Jewish people in the, the time of the Maccabees defeated the Syrians and restored temple worship, they waved palm branches. It was a sign of victory. Can't you just picture this massive crowd in Bethany waving their palm branches in anticipation of seeing Jesus? And they began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. These were not idle words made up in the heat of a moment. These words have been sung by Jews for centuries. They can be found in one of the, the greatest messianic psalms in the book of Psalms, Psalm 118. In Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26, the psalmist wrote, O Lord, do save we beseech you, O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The word Hosanna, it literally means save now. Save now. So here you get the picture, all of these throngs of people lining the way down the, 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 the Mount of Olives, all the way to Jerusalem, waving their palm branches, crying out over and over and over again, Hosanna, 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 save us, save us now. But you know what they wanted to be saved from? Roman oppression. The Son of God did not come to save the Jewish people from Roman oppression. The Son of God came for one purpose, to seek and to save the lost. The Son of God came to die on the cross for the sins of Jews and Gentiles alike, to redeem from this twisted, broken world a people for God's own possession. Oh, it was a beautiful thing, but they so misunderstood. Look at verses 14 and 15 of John chapter 12. 
Jesus finding a young donkey set on it. As it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Luke included the instruction Jesus gave to two of his disciples. He sort of fills in the blanks here for us. In Luke chapter 19, verse 30 and 31, the, the Bible says, Go into the village ahead of you. This is Jesus' instructions to them. As you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. That, that's a little interesting part of the story. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you just don't get on a, the colt of a donkey that had never been broken and expect to ride it and stay on it. You just don't do that. Those are mean little critters. But Jesus said, I want you to find the colt of a donkey, the foal of a donkey. I want you to find one that has never been ridden, and I want you to bring him to me. Interesting. And then the Bible goes on to say, in verse 31 of Luke 19, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. You know, I think this is Luke's way, the Holy Spirit's way of inserting into the story the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. If he wants your donkey, you better give it to him, right? And little donkey, if he wants to ride you, you better submit to him, right? This is the creator God here. This is a son of God, God in the flesh. And he gives clear instructions. Now the Bible says that they made their way to the Mount of Olives. Now the Mount of Olives is a ridge about two and a half miles long, and it rises to a height of about 2,700 feet, which is 200 feet higher than the city of Jerusalem. So when you're on, I've been there, when you're on top of the Mount of Olives, you look down on the city of Jerusalem. It's quite a sight. And when you come to the crest of the Mount of Olives and you begin to go down, it is a breathtaking view. And Jesus came to the crest of the Mount of Olives. And he began to make his way down through the sea of people, waving their palm branches, crying out, Hosanna, 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 save us now, save us now. Oh, what a sight it must have been. But there's something in this story that John gives us that's so important. It's a fulfilled prophecy, a prophecy written over 500 years before this actually occurred. Now, many of you may say, be, be doubting the authenticity of the Word of God, the truthfulness of the Word of God. But I've got a question for you. How can the Bible not be true if it includes something that was written 500 years and it lays out exactly what happens in amazing detail. That's exactly what happened here. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, 
The Old Testament prophet said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What significance this fulfilled prophecy brings to our understanding of the triumphal entry. Everyone who reads this and connects it as they should with the triumphal entry of Jesus, which occurred 500 years, over 500 years later, should understand that the Bible is infallible. It is inerrant. It is inspired by God. And you can trust every word in your Bible. It looks like the the Jewish religious leaders should have studied that text and had, should have recognized the importance and significance of this moment, but they didn't. The king of the Jews riding on a donkey was noteworthy also. You, you see, when a king or a, or a general had won a great victory and they were coming back to Rome to celebrate that victory, they would ride a war horse and behind the king or behind the general would be the army with their their swords shining in the sun with their swords raised in the air but here comes the king of the Jews the king of kings the lord of lords and he comes riding on a donkey This speaks of his humility. It speaks of his purpose for coming. Why did Jesus ride a donkey? Well, number one, to fulfill prophecy. Number two, he rode a donkey to indicate his humility and the fact that he had come to redeem the lost by offering himself as a perfect sacrifice for sin on the cross of Calvary, which would happen a few days later. Paul speaks of this, the humility of Jesus, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, where he says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. Listen to this. These are the words of the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Despite all the teaching and all the preparation that Jesus had given to his disciples, they didn't fully grasp the significance of this moment. They didn't connect Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, to what was happening before them at the triumphal entry. In John chapter 12, verse 16, John wrote these words, These things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. 
It's important that you realize that these disciples could not fully grasp all that was happening during Holy Week, including the triumphal entry, including the time in the upper room, including the time when Jesus would gird himself about and wash their dirty feet, including the cross and the resurrection. They couldn't understand all of that until Jesus was glorified, until he had been resurrected from the dead and he spent time teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God and connecting Old Testament prophecy to what they witnessed in his life. But not everyone was thrilled with this ticker tape parade, you might call it, that Jesus was experiencing from the Mount of Olives, from Bethany and the Mount of Olives all the way down into Jerusalem. Luke inserts some very important details here we need to grasp. In in, uh, Luke chapter 11, verses 47 to 53, the Bible says, therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council Excuse me, John chapter 11, 47 to 53. Therefore, the chief priests of the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Do you know why the... the, the Jewish religious leaders were so concerned about Jesus and his popularity and all people believing in him because he had raised Lazarus from the dead is because it affected their pocketbook. They would lose their position and they would lose their prosperity because the Romans would take them out of office and basically dismantle the religious Uh, the religion of the Jews. Now notice this, verse 49 of John chapter 11. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied, this is interesting, that Jesus was going to die for the nation and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. Then Luke chapter 19, verse 39 and 40, notice what happened as Jesus was making his way down the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem in this procession. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd They had infiltrated the crowd. They were standing among the people who were waving their palm branches and crying out over and over again, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. The Pharisees said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop. I love what Jesus said. He said, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. The stones will start praising me. Now make no mistake about it. Jesus was presenting himself to the Jewish nation as their king and as the long 
promised Messiah. In John chapter 12, verse 17 and 18, the Bible says, so the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. You got the Pharisees telling, Master, rebuke these people. Tell them to stop. And yet you got the people in the crowd from Bethany there who had witnessed the the, the fact that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, and they are continually telling other people about it. And for this reason also, the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So here's a picture. You got the people in Bethany and Bethphage up there on the top of Mount Olives, and and they're all gathered together, and they've cut their palm branches. They've lined the way up and down the, the Mount of Olives. They're waving those palm branches. They're crying out, Hosanna. But there's another large crowd that comes out of Jerusalem. The word has spread to Jerusalem, and this other crowd is coming out of Jerusalem. So you've got the converging of two large crowds coming together for one purpose, and that is to greet Jesus to wave those palm branches signifying victory and to cry out, Hosanna. Jesus was their king. He was their Messiah. However, they did not understand his true mission. Something happened as Jesus was making his way down the Mount of Olives that's very interesting. Luke is the only one that records this part. In Luke chapter 19, verse 41 to 44, Luke included this. When he approached Jerusalem, so he's made his way down the Mount of Olives. And as he's approaching Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it saying, if you had known this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side and they will level you to the ground and your children with you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Why was Jesus weeping at the climax of this amazing celebration? One thing we know, he was not weeping because of what he was about to suffer in Jerusalem. He was weeping for the city and for the Jewish people who were about to reject him. While many in this crowd that was crying out, Hosanna, 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 would soon be crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus knew that. Jesus, being God in the flesh, also knew that in A.D. 70, the Romans would come against the city of Jerusalem, build a siege wall against it, and destroy the city of Jerusalem, kill men, women, boys, and girls by the hundreds, and disperse the Jewish people to various parts of the world. And the Jews would lose their homeland until 1948. And Jesus wept 
What a surreal moment this was during the triumphal entry. Now look at, go back to John chapter 12, verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're not doing any good. Look, the whole world has gone after him. The whole world is turning to Jesus. And this certainly explains what would happen on Good Friday when Jesus would be crucified. By the way, this coming Friday at 6.15 in this room, we're going to have a Good Friday service. And we're going to sing about the cross. And I'm going to preach on the cross. And we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. It's going to be a wonderful night. And I want to encourage all of you to come and invite people to come with you. We're going to celebrate the fact that our Lord died on a cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven. You know, as I studied, and I, I read about the triumphal entry in all four of the Gospels. And, and I got to the end, and, and I said, but, but what does this mean to us right here in 2023? What's the spiritual significance for us? And the Holy Spirit laid three things on my heart. And I want to drop them in your heart. Number one, the king's review. Now make no mistake about it. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. Everything that God promised all the way back in the first prophecy in the Bible, Genesis 3.15, has been fulfilled in Jesus. He came the first time to offer himself as a perfect sacrifice for the sins of the Jews and Gentiles. But I got to thinking about something. Just like Jesus stopped and he viewed the city of Jerusalem and wept over it. I wonder what Jesus sees when he looks at our community. The greater Memphis area. What does he see? I believe he sees single moms who are struggling to raise their kids. I believe he sees grieving spouses who have stood over the freshly dug grave of their husband or wife and they're so alone. I believe he sees business professionals who have climbed the career ladder but they're empty and hollow on the inside. I believe he sees students who are being bullied. I believe he sees students and young adults who are trying to figure out who they are in light of all the, the transgender stuff that's going on in our culture. They're trying to figure out themselves. I believe he sees people who are addicted and are struggling to be free. I believe he sees religious people who have a form of godliness 
but they're not operating in the power of God. And I, you know what I believe? I believe it breaks the heart of Jesus. And you say, well, why would Jesus weep? Because he cares about people. He loves people, even broken people. And I'm going to say something to everybody in this room, everybody watching live stream. I promise you this on the authority of God's word. Jesus loves you. He cares about you. He wants to make a difference in your life. But you've got to understand that this opportunity to commit yourself to Jesus, to repent of yourself, of, of your sins, and to place your faith in Jesus, that window of opportunity is only open for a short period of time. It was only open for the the, the, the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel for a short period of time. That's why Jesus was weeping. And the Spirit of God is, is calling out to you, believe in Jesus. Put your faith in him. You've tried everything else, and it hasn't worked. Turn to Jesus. Put your faith and trust in him, and he will save you. He will forgive you, and he will put the stamp of significance and importance in your life that will make a difference now and forever. Come to Jesus. Are you a believer? Are you really a believer? Then as the king reviews your life, what does he see? Does he see that you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul, and with all your strength? Does he see that you are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Does he? Hey, listen, if you're a born-again believer, I want you to know that you've got a window of opportunity to get right with God, to put Jesus first in your life, and I encourage you, do it now. So we say here in this text, this story, the king's review. But the second thing I see is the king's return. You see, Jesus came the first time, right? And he came to suffer and die for our sins on the cross and be raised from the dead so that we could have the gift of eternal life. But I want you to know that Jesus told his disciples that he's coming again, the king's return. There's going to be another triumphal entry one day, my friend, and that triumphal entry is coming soon, I believe. Here's what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 24, 29 to 31. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky that all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And by the way, he's not coming on a donkey. He's coming on a white horse. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Let me ask you, my, my dear friend, are you ready for Jesus to come? Are you ready for him to come? 
Are you ready to meet him? Or are you wasting your life on the foolish things of this world? You got to be ready. He's coming. You got to be ready. There's going to be another triumphal entry, I promise you. And then finally, number three, not only the king's review or the king's return, but the king's reign. R-E-I-G-N, the reign. I want you to hear the prophecy of Daniel, an Old Testament prophet. Daniel 7, verse 13 and 14, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed." Ladies and gentlemen, I tell you, one day Jesus is going to reign over the entire creation. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You can count on it. So the review of the king, the return of the king, and the reign of the king. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says if you're a born-again believer, that you're going to reign with Jesus for all of eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. You say, where is that, Pastor? It's Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. Check me out. It says it. As a born-again believer, you'll have a responsibility in the kingdom of, of heaven. In, in the new heavens and the new earth, you'll have a responsibility and you'll get to serve Jesus forever. You're not going to be bored in heaven. You're going to serve him. You're going to worship him. It's going to be the most glorious thing you've ever experienced in your life. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, it talks about another Palm Sunday where in heaven, the, the, the ones who suffered during tribulation will be waving palm branches, worshiping the Lord Jesus. Mm. So here's the question. How are you going to respond? In, in just a moment, we're going to, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to worship the Lord. And our staff, in fact, I want our worship team to come, our staff to come. And I want to invite you. Listen, we talked about the King's Review. And you've got this window of opportunity. And I invite you to repent of your sin, place your faith in Jesus, commit your life to him. And do it today. If you're, if you're a believer and you're not living for him, there's no better time for you to get right with God and to put first things first in your life than right now. You can come to this altar, you can pray. You can come to one of our staff members and tell them that you wanna be saved, that you wanna commit your life to Jesus. I encourage you to do that. Maybe you're looking for a church home. Maybe you wanna to come to one of our staff members and say, look, 
we feel like the Spirit of God's leading us to be a part of Collierville First Baptist. We'll help you with that decision. Maybe you've got a loved one that you're concerned about their salvation. You can come to the altar and bow before the Lord and cry out to the Lord for the salvation of your loved one, your friend, your neighbor, your co-worker. I encourage you to come. The king's review, the king's return, he's coming. And the king's reign. Oh, I pray that you're a part of that. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would move with incredible power and that you would move people to respond in a way that would honor and glorify you, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name.